You are listening to Sick Biz Buzz with me, Hillary Jastrom. Welcome back to Sick Biz Buzz, the sickest podcast empowering chronically ill and disabled entrepreneurs and remote workers, and the only podcast of its kind in the universe. We like to compare ourselves to being unicorns. It's a new analogy, and I think it fits, so we'll go with it. And today, I want to give a shout out before we get started to J-Home Marketing and Creative Services, providing copywriting, copy editing, and book editing. And as of this show, they have published about 70 books and going strong, many of them bestsellers. If you want to work with them and have a book that you need to have published, they will help you self-publish your books. And you can reach them at jhillmark.com. My guest today is a person that I turn to for validation. She is a friend who opened up her home to me and shared all of her adorable doggies when I visited her so that I wouldn't feel homesick. And here's a shout out to Caden. Auntie Hill loves you. (laughs) Kate Colbert is at first glance polished intelligence educated, sophisticated, and all of the wonderful facets that make for the beautiful face of a business, which she does run well. Her business, Silver Tree Communications, handles marketing of all sorts in all mediums, as well as book publishing, which is her Silver Tree imprint. Behind the polish, Kate has been living a life of trying to figure out how to manage existing illnesses and now the diagnoses of three additional chronic disorders. Prior to being one of the first blogs on sickbiz.com, Kate was very private about her condition and her situation. And now she is willing to open up and let people know what it is like to run a business when you have multiple chronic conditions that are trying their damnedest to hold you back and what it is like to re-identify as a person whose life has changed As she puts it, she may have a frail body, but her spirit is astoundingly fierce. Please welcome my dear and cherished friend, Kate Colbert. Oh, darling. So good to be back. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you're here. I feel complete with you on the show. I feel the same way. (laughs) That's so awesome. So how have you been? What's new since the last show, which was what, last year sometime? Yeah. Uh, lots. Um, super, super busy at work. I'm um, doing a massive rebrand to focus our core business on um, market research. So we're in the process of turning Silver Tree Communications into Silver Tree Market Research and really doubling down on the work we do to help organizations create data-driven differentiation in the marketplace. So that's super exciting. Um, I think since we last talked, I did some, you know, really fun stuff. Um, we talked right as my book was coming out. So I'm mm-hmm. sort of big into the book launch. I've had multiple opportunities to speak. I was actually somewhere this morning and saw that a copy of my book was laying on a coffee table. And I said, hey, and, and they said, oh, <laughs> we're using it actually to help us develop a social media strategy. And um, so, I love it. so life is good. So I've been, um, you know, business-wise really sort of focusing on, on growth, bringing on new people onto our teams, really expanding or probably going to double our capacity um, in the book publishing business this year. And um, yeah, and then, yeah, and then of course, you know, all that, (laughs) you know, pesky health stuff. Um, But, um, but life is really uh, quite good, all things considered. So let's talk about that pesky health stuff. Let's talk about the last couple of months. 
Yeah. So the last couple of months have been really interesting. So um, as you know, and as some sick bizzers um, who may have um, heard me speak on a, a previous episode uh, may know, you know, I'm uh, just coming up on my 45th birthday um, next month and um, have been pretty much, you know, a sick person since I was born, but never really identified that way because I didn't have any clear or large or, um, you know, sort of connected diagnoses. So I've spent mm-hmm. most of my life um, in a lot of pain, um, a lot of joint pain, um, frequent injuries. Um, so I had was one of those people who was always considered a klutz um, or accident prone, which is an interesting mm-hmm. sort of judgment. Um, and have spent a lot of my life um, recovering from a lot of um, serious injuries and then dealing with, you know, sort of horrible things, you know, fainting spells and, you know, frequent tachycardia and this, that, and the other. And for whatever reason, my symptoms just sort of kick-started into sort of a progressive uh, mode this past, I would say probably three months ago. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I was having just a sort of a mo- normal morning and was um, sitting on the floor in the master bedroom um, with um, my little Chloe dog um, on the floor between um, my knees. And I was going through our morning routine. So we have some some uh, pups, as you know, who have some special needs. And I had a, a pup who needed to get her um, prosthetic uh, legs put on for the morning. And I was mm-hmm. getting her all bandaged up and ready to go. And we do this sort of funny um, thing where I, you know, she can't really walk. And then you put the legs on, you wrap her up and I flip her over and um, and she just pops up and takes off running like it's a miracle. So we always say, you're healed. <laughs> um, and <laughs> you're healed. Um, and she it. would, yeah, and she would just um, pop off. And um, and so I put my left hand on the floor on the carpet to, you know, push myself up with my arm because I was sitting on my butt on the floor and um, went to go stand up and felt a horrific um, tearing sensation. Um, and oh. I tore my... Um, I tore my um, hamstring, um, which was an experience I've never had before and not something I would recommend. And so, so I, you know, got myself up and, um, you know, was limping around and uh, thought, well, this isn't, this isn't fun. And later that same day, um, I was sort of walking around sort of clutching my butt cheek, you know, and um, later that same day, Mm -hmm. like, uh, like the get her done kind of girl that I am, I was taking a break from work and I stopped by my husband's office, which is upstairs and, and noticed there was a little stain on the carpet. And I thought, Oh, if I ask him to do it, he won't do it. So I went and I, and so I started to ask and I thought, Oh, don't be stupid, Kate. So I went and grabbed some, some Folex, um, which um, we maybe ought to get them as a, a sponsor for SickBit. So Folex is like the greatest, um, I have carpet and upholstery cleaner ever, white bottle, purple um, writing, ugly, ugly, very uh, sort of commercial looking stuff you can buy it at Lowe's. Lowe's. Mm. Um, it'll take anything out of anything. Um, and so I went back into his office and sprayed some on the floor, um, got down on my hands and knees to scrub at the carpet for a second. And without thinking, went, you know, popped one foot back onto the floor, sort of bent my knee and went to stand up, not realizing that when you have a torn hamstring, you, you don't have the muscle strength hold yourself up um at sort of the hip and the thigh um and so Uh. when i went to stand up my leg wouldn't hold me and my left knee popped out of the socket and go my yeah that was fun and so i sort of fell forward into the door of my husband's office and swore a little bit um and i had a business trip that week um i was going to spend some time um with uh my now friend and colleague uh rory vaden best-selling author of the book take the stairs 
And yeah. I, was, I, I thought, well, I have to catch an airplane tomorrow and I don't know what to do. And I couldn't get the knee back, back in the socket. And long story short, um, you know, if you walk on it for a couple of days, it eventually will go back in. Um, and it did. And um, I started to get a little bit better after a week or two and then dislocated the knee again um, and then dislocated a shoulder. And then um, sort of in the mm. course of, you know, six or eight weeks had uh, multiple really serious dislocations. Um, you know, for, for perspective, I've been dislocating joints since I was about 18. So this is not, or 18 months old, sorry. Um, so since I was a baby, um, so this is not new, but it's not normal for me to dislocate, you know, multiple joints a day, um, and to be doing it daily. And, and I was just getting injured really fast all the time, um, really seriously recovering slowly, um, to the point where, you know, and starting to, to dislocate in joints that I'd never had issues with. So, you know, a random knuckle or, um, lots of trouble with my, um, ribs coming, um, out of place and, you know, my second rib popping over my clavicle and that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, so it got a little bit weird. And I, for the first time in my life, because it was hard to hide because I was, you know, using a cane and relying on wheelchairs at airports and what have you, um, and I didn't know that this was part of a chronic illness. I was I was fairly open about it on social media, which is not typical for me. Um, and mm-hmm. so this sort of set off a, what is going on with me and are these things finally connected? Um, and I finally just decided I'm not taking no for an answer. So I don't care how many doctors I have to call and how many doctors they have to call um, and whose waiting list I have to get onto and how many people I have to write six page letters to that I demand the doctor reads my symptom list and my letter to them before I walk into the room. Um, I'm just not going down without a diagnosis. And um, as of less than a week ago, we finally know what's going on with me. So you have three diagnoses and they're, and they're new. Yeah. So these are sort of um, on top of some of the other things I knew that were going on, but also of explain just a lot of things for my entire life, really people, you know, and again, this is American allopathic medicine for you, right? So I used to be the director of marketing at a medical uh, school. And so I understand, you know, that, that sort of traditional MDs are trained um, to focus on a particular um, body system or body parts. Um, and often while they might get the benefit of some sort of cross-functional training um, early in their training, um, really sort of go deep into their specialties and and don't have a whole lot of opportunity to work in interprofessional fashions. And so what happened for me is what happens, I think, for many people um, who are suffering from complex medical um, situations is that I would go, you know, go to a doctor and say, my knee hurts. And so you'd go to an ortho guy and they would look at your knee and do an MRI. And then, you know, you go to you get horrible crushing head pain um, and, you know, and you, so you go to the, the neurologist or the neurosurgeon and they're just looking at that. And then, then the pain moves to your jaw. Um, and so you go to an ear, nose and throat person, right. Or a myofascial um, person or, and every symptom was being treated or addressed by a different doctor who wasn't talking to another doctor. And, and, um, mm-hmm. and it really ultimately took um, an astute, friend on Facebook um, who saw the things I was posting and sent me a message that said, I, I, I think I know what's wrong with you. Um, and then I ignored that for a couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I was busy, right? I was, I was, you know, traveling the world with a dislocated knee and I, you know, had stuff to do and places to go, people to see things to do. Um, 
And what's the odds, though, too? Right. Like your friend is just going to jump on there yeah. and be like, oh, yeah, you diagnosed yeah, you me. you have this rare right disease. On. You've got this thing that impacts <laughs> yeah. only one in 5,000 people, and I just happen to know what it is. Um, and yeah. that was exactly it. And I, I remember thanking her and saying, I'll definitely look into it. And it was a condition I'd heard of. And um, and I thought, oh, I'm busy. And literally weeks went by. And then I um, had my mom over visiting, and I was taking a shower and got out of the shower, reached my arm out to grab the towel off the towel bar and um, started screaming in horrific pain and felt like somebody took a bone saw and tried to cut my uh, uh, shoulder blade off. And um, so I was screaming for help. Um, my husband came running in. I'm like, I can't dry myself off. It was this really, you know, for somebody who's fiercely independent um, and stubborn, um, I mean, talk about a vulnerable moment, right? You're standing there on the bath mm -hmm. mat naked and cold and dripping, and you Aww. literally can't dry yourself off with a towel. And um, yeah, mm -hmm. so that was that was really fun. And um, and uh, so and my poor husband had a panic attack, so he was of no help. Um, oh my God, that's yeah, right. Yeah, not good. I, I remember. Because yeah, I was, I think yeah, he's not used he to seeing me that vulnerable either. And so that kind of really sort of, sort of tipped the scales for him as well. And um, so a couple of hours later, I was at the physical therapist's office um, for an injury evaluation. And and again, they almost turned me away um, with what I've been hearing for 45 years. Like, oh, hmm, yeah, you injured something. We'll work on it. Um, and, you know, they did some work on, on the shoulder blade and decided to put some, some heat on it and let me kind of enjoy five minutes of heat before we left. And I said, do you mind? They had me laying on my side. Do you mind if I sit up? This is kind of uncomfortable. She said, sure. And mm -hmm. I very much like that moment where I put my hand on the floor to, to stand up. Um, when I tore my hamstring, I put my right hand um, on the um, exam bed and went to push myself up mm -hmm. into a sitting position. Um, and when I did, um, got that horrific tearing sensation again, screamed. Um, they still talk about it at that physical therapy office because I was in a, a closed room and all the other patients um, wondered, what the hell are they doing to her? Um, it's the room where they, I know it's awful. It's the room where they do the dry needling. And so now I think everyone's afraid of dry needling. And, and it was like, it, the, the needles didn't hurt. That was not the needles, but um, oh, sales I'm going down, down now. No, no more dry needling. But um, I started screaming, and I will say this: so this was one of those rare moments of a practitioner um, started letting the wheels turn in her head. And her name is Stephanie, the clinic director there at ATI. And she, mm -hmm. um, my mom was with me, and my mom was holding her breath and watching me sob and doubled over. And um, and Stephanie started sort of, you know, working her fingertips along um, the, the bone of my shoulder blade, trying to figure out what was going on. And thank goodness, I thought to articulate what I was feeling as the sensations were changing. And I said, mm -hmm. Stephanie, my hand is going numb. And so she stopped working on my shoulder blade and my, my back and, and checked my pulse in my wrists and again in my armpit and said, Kate, you're losing your radial pulses. Um, I think you have what's called thoracic outlet syndrome. And mm -hmm. you need to go to urgent care and what have you. So I said, well, can you write that down? So she gave me you know, a visit note, typed everything up. I, of course, did not go to urgent care because I am stubborn and I freaking hate hospitals. Um, and I'm like, I'm not doing I'm fine. You, you did not go to urgent care when you cut your cornea. No, so, oh well, no, and the, and they don't usually have an ophthalmologist on staff at urgent care. So I went to an emergency ophthalmologist who repaired my eyes. So it, it was all good. The next yeah. day, 
You went the next day. No, I went the day. same day. So. I went the same day. Yeah, I went the Did same you? day. Okay. All, good. all right. Um, that, yeah. Your your <laughs> favorite dog, KK you. the Wonder Palm, scratched me in the eye. That was his fault. I know. This is pretty cute. Know. He's sleeping under my desk right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> we'll have to, we get, a have to get a picture of him. We should on put the him on the blog. He would be yeah. a really... You yeah, you'll blog. attract a lot more sick visitors <laughs> if they see how cute your your podcast guests' <laughs> dogs are. I know. So, well, we have a mask cat. We yeah. have monkey cat, but I just don't think he's he is pretty cute. Weight. Well, he's nobody not. competes with a little fluffy white and biscuit Pomeranian. But um, so yeah, so so I again, so here I've got these two diagnoses that people have mentioned to me: um, thoracic outlet syndrome, so something going on with my shoulders that something has, has something to do with why I have a pulse in my hand or not. And then, by the way, a few weeks ago, this friend who I don't know super well named Amanda on, on Facebook had sent me a note and said, I think you have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And so I, you know, got all sort of propped up at home with a heating pad behind the painful shoulders and took, you know, some Tylenol and sat there whimpery and decided if I don't move, I'm okay. Um, and told my staff, you know, handle it. I'm not working today. And, um, and then I just started playing with my phone and decided to Google it. Um, so I consulted Dr. Google and, uh, Dr. Google told me some interesting things about, um, I didn't even know what a thoracic outlet was, but it's essentially sort of the space between the, um, the clavicle and the second rib, which is below it. And it's very much like the carpal tunnel and the wrist where there's a small space where a lot of stuff has to move around. And so if you get inflammation, it's a problem. Mm -hmm. So thoracic outlet um, is a, a place in the body where there's um, an artery and some muscles and some tendons and all kinds of stuff running through a very small space. And so if it gets impinged, it can cause massive um, nerve function impairment and uh, vascular impairment. And what was interesting was when I was reading about it, it said that this is relatively rare for people to have, um, you know, either isolated or recurrent thoracic outlet injuries. Um, but it's pretty common among people who have, drum roll, please, Ehlers-Danlos mm -hmm. syndrome. Yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. I thought, that's kind of curious. I should maybe finally look that up. <laughs> and I... Um, you know, got distracted by a dog barking or my mom needing something or what have you. And I still didn't look it up. Um, and it was a couple weeks later that I finally got around to reading up on it. Um, and my husband was sleeping and I was sitting sort of quietly alone. And I pulled up a Wikipedia entry for Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And um, it was just my, I was like, my eyes were like ravenous for every word I was reading. And things were just like clicking and clicking and clicking. I mean, I started to shake and I started to cry and I felt simultaneously validated and overwhelmed and excited and scared and sad. And I didn't know what to do with it all. And so I woke my husband up and said, you have to hear this. You have to hear this. Oh my God, I think I know what's wrong with me. And mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. yeah, and so that's sort of how um, that all went. So like many people with rare diseases or complex diagnoses, um, you know, I ultimately then found myself in that position of, okay, now I get to go sort of fight the good fight with doctors who probably don't even want to see me to tell them, <laughs> let me show you the medical degree I don't have, but I'm going to tell you what's wrong with me. And I, I was sure I mm -hmm. could diagnose myself. And um, the very next day, my phone rang and um, it was uh, my general practitioner who I had literally had not seen in like three years. It says, hey, your physical therapist sent us this note that said you came in and that she thinks you have thoracic outlet syndrome. We'd like to see you. 
And I thought, oh, ain't nobody mm. got time for that. And then I thought, well, right? I, exactly. <laughs> Maybe I should make time. Um, and so within 24 mm. hours, I was down at the general practitioner and I walked in and um, and I said, I'm falling apart. And like, my knees are popping out. My shoulders are popping out. Oh. I, you know, I can't, I can barely move my arms sometimes. Like something's really wrong with me. Um, I need your help. And it was a really vulnerable moment where I basically just went in and said, like, like, you have to help me. Like, please, please, you have to help me. Um, and she said, um, I may not have all the answers for you, but I'm going to do everything I can to help. And, um, and she did. And so, um, you know, I, I, we talked through, could it be this, could it be that? Um, and she immediately thought we were potentially dealing with Ehlers-Danlos as well. Um, and then I got to go through that long journey of finding out that all the specialists you need to see have waiting lists of four or five months. Um, and again, I thought, you know what, mm-hmm. I've waited 45 years, I'm done waiting. So I just started making phone calls um, and I started thinking, okay, well, Kate, you know, you are the acclaimed author of a book called Think Like a Marketer. Why don't you think like a salesperson (laughs) and get on the phone with these people and convince them they need to see you. Um, And so I did. So I called Mm -hmm. um, a very, very um, sort of astute uh, rheumatology clinic um, in Lake Forest, Illinois, which is very um, affluent area and and said you have to see me and the woman at the front desk said the the wait list is she said one we don't take patients unless they're referred by another doctor I said my doctor gave me your name she said okay great and I said and she said and we can't see you for for like five months um, and, I, and I said that's just not going to work for me um, this is you have to help me um, this has become really life limiting and she started to pause and then I just basically just hit her with a fire hose of words I just wouldn't stop talking and I told her I've been sick for 45 years here's what I think is going on you have to help me blah 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 and I just wouldn't stop talking and um, and I said mm-hmm. like how can you fit me into the schedule and so she took yeah. a break and she said wow okay yeah this is a lot you know what would your doctor be willing to call us and to talk to the specialist who I think is the right person for you to see? Um, because if she thinks that this is really um, rare or emergent, um, then that doctor could then tell us whether to open up an emergency appointment in our schedule. And so they did. And so 24 hours late. So I picked, I hung up, I picked up the phone, I called my other doctor and said, you got to call this person now. Like you have to call her. Um, and they did. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't know what they said and what they talked about, but 24 hours later, I had an appointment that was three weeks down the road instead of five months down the road. Um, and I did the same thing um, for um, the neurosurgeon that I'm going to see um, next week. Um, and uh, so, you know, and I did the homework. I literally took a day off of work before the appointment and sat down and organized all of my notes and made symptom lists and just page after page. And I wrote my story and I organized the symptoms to say, I think these seven things are related to this diagnosis. And I think these things are related to this. And these are the things that don't, I have no idea what they are, um, but it all seems to be related to connective tissue. And, um, and I, that's amazing. And it's just, it's so interesting because this is a testament to people who are going through this right now in terms of I can't get into the doctor, I can't get seen, I can't be taken seriously. And you did yeah. become that salesman. Yeah, you have to. And there are partic- like there's yeah, there's particular things that you have to say right. like emergent 
Um, what did you say? It's, it's quality, yeah, it's, it's become a life limiting. Life and you know, limiting. here's the thing that really makes me sad, and I think you make a really interesting point, Hillary. So is so one of the things I've noticed that doctors invariably say to me when I talk to them, other than you know, <laughs> you're nuts, go home. Um, no, um, is um, one no one of the things actually <laughs> that I think has um, finally maybe put me on the path to getting the respect that I deserve. And, and it, it saddens me because it's not something, it's not something that every patient um, has is that I have the vocabulary. And, and what I mean by that is not that I'm a good writer or that I'm eloquent. What I mean by that is that I used to work at a medical school um, and I am a national mm-hmm. award-winning a medical writer. One of the many things I do as a market researcher is take a look at healthcare statistics and develop reports for the marketplace about how to keep patients safer and how to keep doctors from getting sued. And so I know a lot. I know a lot of medical terms. You know, it's, it's, it's sort of like that. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. And and it has helped me <laughs> because it has helped me be unafraid to read um, peer-reviewed medical journals, um, which quite frankly, friends, if you're trying to figure out what's going on with you, like maybe you're going to find some useful information on WebMD and Wikipedia and that kind of stuff. And and I certainly did. But in terms of getting really deep into the weeds on it and sometimes finding the answers that you need, you have to stop being afraid to read stuff that wasn't written for you. (laughs) So you've got to be willing to go read things that were written from cardiologist to cardiologist or, you know, what have you. Um, And because I do so much research in this space for the work that I do for my clients, um, at hospital systems and medical malpractice um, insurance companies, I was not afraid to do that work. And and one of the things that I do find, and this happened to me just last week, um, is that, you know, I'll use a term and there's always some sort of term that like throws a doctor and they sort of look up from their clipboard or their um, their laptop and they say, oh, you know what that is? All right. It's sort of like when you go get your car fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I was having a I was, I was getting some stuff fixed on an Audi once and I was at the Quattro Cafe and um, and they told me, um, okay, well, we need to go over to the cash, cashier because we need to, um, you know, not only is your um, uh, sort of uh, rear back light out or whatever, you know, the turn signals out too, so we need to have you pay for another light bulb. And I said, that's funny. I said, because, you know, those those two those two lights, the blinker and the backup light, or whatever, I'm like, you know, they're really just two filaments of the same bulb. And this old, older gentleman like, and his greasy hands looked at me and he said, oh, you know about cars? And I said, yes. And I said, and you might not mm. want to try to screw me over. And so, um, and, and uh, ironically, that's like one of the only things I know about a car. I like, I, I, it was a total fluke. But anyway, but I do think that there is this fine line, right? So some physicians, especially physicians who are older older, and with all due respect for them, were educated, and I know this having worked at medical schools, were educated at a time when doctors um, were told to keep a, a significant amount of power distance between themselves and their patients, um, when doctors were um, mm. told that if you're going to feel comfortable making the decisions you have to make and, and holding people's uh, lives in your hands, you have to sort of develop a God complex. And um, and and so those physicians can be sometimes very difficult to work with because they don't want your opinion as a patient. Um, and, and I would say, you know, I would say to everyone listening, um, it's it is possible for you to respect the years of training and experience and diagnostic ability of the practitioner that you um, are consulting with 
But it is also important for you to never lose sight that all those years of training, all those years of experience, and the 15 minutes or whatever they're spending with you, um, do not better qualify them to understand what you know from a lifetime of living inside your body. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's kind of a catch 22 at the same time because you want to be careful what you're researching. You know, a lot of people out there, they like to mm -hmm. kind of the flash and dash, you know, they're going to talk about cancer. They're going to talk about the rare diseases. They're going to share the weird tumors. They're going to, and it might be that, you know, right. you have a sinus infection. It's not a brain tumor. So you have to be careful, which is, it's sad though, because we have to advocate for ourselves and do. do that research, but we still have to make sure, and I love what you said um, in terms of being informed in the medical industry, because when I got sick, my mother had worked in the medical industry for over 30 years and she helped me navigate and get into appointments sooner. Yep. She would say, say this, do this. And so it's really important. I think one of the takeaways for the show today is that you yeah. should have somebody who is yeah. a medical advocate for you. Even if that person is not with you at the appointments, they are helping you with their industry experience and they're advising you on how to move the process through a little bit more quickly, a little bit more smoothly. You don't have to go to, you know, see this specialist over here because it would just be ruled out anyways. So I love yeah. the knowledge that you're dropping in terms of that. And it's sad that we need that. But when you're talking about the God complex too, like my mom used to talk about that yeah. all the time, working with, she would work with the doctors with that she was like, the God complexes yeah. are driving me crazy. Right. And I get it. Right. I get it. But they, they have to command that respect in order to direct the patient's right. well, in an order, path toward and, healing. And, and again, potentially. you know, with respect to them in order to be able to sleep at night. So they often, especially, you know, folks who yeah. Um, do surgery, what have you, they often make really tough decisions and sometimes things go horribly wrong and they, you know, patients are left with very yes. poor outcomes or um, fatal outcomes and um, and they need to trust their instincts um, in order to be able to get up in the morning and go try it again tomorrow. Um, and, and I have a whole lot of respect for that. But, you know, here's what I would say about getting prepared for doctor's appointments. And this is embarrassing for me to admit but maybe we'll make a light bulb go off. Um, <laughs> pardon the light bulb. There's, there are not two filaments of this one. No, um, but <laughs> but <laughs> is it also your turn <laughs> signal? No. Um, so here's what I'm hoping might help people is that if you were going to a job interview, which is important, right? You know, mm -hmm. it's it, it's your career. It's what might pay your, your rent or your mortgage or, or put food on the table for your children. You would I would like to think prepare. You would find out a little bit more about the company. You would, you know, check LinkedIn to see who do you know who works there and who can give you some advice about their culture and what you should know before you go in. And and you know, you would think about what you're going to wear and how you're going to do your hair. And um, and you would be putting together questions that you have. And you would be thinking through, okay, if they ask me that question I hate about, you know, what's your one weakness? What how am I going to answer that without fumbling? And you would prepare for that, right? Because that's a really important appointment. But when you're talking about um, mm -hmm. having an illness or an injury that is life limiting to you. Um, and that could be something that if not treated well or quickly could turn out worse than, than it has to. Why would you put less time into preparing for that doctor's appointment than you would to preparing for a job interview? 
that doctor's appointment may or may not, and I think it's important for people to remember, they're like dominoes falling, right? It's like a string of dominoes. So you walk into a doctor's office and if you do or don't ask the right questions, if they do or don't give you the right information, if they do or don't ask the right questions, depending on what happens, whether it's in an emergency department or at a general Mm -hmm. practitioner or a specialist office, depending on what happens in that moment, that's the first domino dropping. And it will impact all the other dominoes, whether you go see the next specialist, whether that specialist talks to the first specialist, whether you get a referral to Mayo Clinic, whether you go home and say, never mind, I'll just suffer in silence because no one believes me. So you will bear the brunt of what happens when all those dominoes fall. And yet sometimes we get lazy. We schedule a doctor's appointment in the middle of a busy workday. We don't take the time to prepare for it. Um, so I think I think getting a diagnosis for me, and, and this will sound really silly, um, me taking a half day off of work the day before to work on all the intake paperwork and to talk to my husband mm-hmm. and I made him read everything. And I said, what am I forgetting? Because I've been sick for 45 years. I literally, I have mm-hmm. like something like 40 some odd symptoms and, and I would, you know, major things, you know, like I would start to go to bed and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I forgot to tell them that I faint all the time, like big things, you know? Um, and I think taking the time to prepare mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, really allowed me to walk in. And when I walked into that doctor's office and I handed them all the paperwork, I handed them um, a three page uh, stapled uh, letter and, and then uh, organized symptom list. And it was a very specific letter, dear Dr. Keen and colleagues, you know, I'm a 45 year old woman who blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. I'm reaching out to you today because um, I'm hoping you can give me hope here. And I was very specific, right? I marketed myself to her. Here's who I am. Here's what I need from you. Here's why I believe you can help me. And I have tried to organize my story and my information and my intake paperwork for you in a way that might help make it click. Here's what I think is wrong with me. I may or may not be right. Um, I look forward to working with you. Um, And it was like a letter of engagement, essentially, that I wrote and I gave it to them at the front desk. And I said, can you please ask that the doctor read this before she walks into the room? And she did. And she did. Wow. Um, She walked in and she shook my husband's hand and um, asked who he was and introduced herself and introduced herself to me. And she sat down with a laptop in her lap um, and with a file. And she said, Kate, I've I've just read through the letter you wrote um, and your um, information. And, um, you know, I feel like I'm starting to get a sense of what what we're looking at here. But I'm just going to ask you, start at the beginning. Tell me your story. And, and that's, that's yeah, how it all absolutely. began. And she spent an hour with me before I went off to get some blood work done for some genetic tests and things that'll cost an absolute flipping fortune, I'm sure. Um, and, um, but hey, you know, who mm. doesn't want to hit their um, high deductible deductible by February every year? So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, and you're always positive. So this is my segue into the next question is what are you looking forward to? So here's the, well, a couple of things. Um, I'm looking forward to not feeling invisible in my illness anymore. So as much as I chose, it's interesting, I, I think I felt like I was choosing the invisibility for a long time. Like when I first blogged for SickBiz, I was sort of wanted to do it under a pseudonym because I thought, what if, what if the people who pay me good money to consult for them, you know, think that I'm weak or something? You know what? I just want to. I just want to stop you for a minute. And here's my thought on mm-hmm. those people. Okay, are you ready? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, continue. Well, and it, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> so, so I have, you know, 
there are there are always going to be people, and I think it's important that people who are listening right now understand there are always going to be people in your life, in your career, in your family, in your neighborhood, whatever, um, who are not intelligent and emotionally intelligent enough to understand that your illness and or disability has nothing to do with your character, your capability, or your commitment. And sometimes you can educate those people to help understand, um, and sometimes you can't. And, and you know, you have to figure out sort of where to cut your losses. What I'm looking forward to is um, connection to some other people. So, so I've already had the opportunity to join sort of an online um, uh, group. So, so my three diagnoses are uh, sort of all connected, but bizarre and complex. So I have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, EDS. Um, we believe the vascular type, which... Um, has a, a, a typically a fatal outcome, um, as well as I'm also dealing with craniocervical instability, which has sort of a fun nickname um, called pumpkin on a toothpick. Um, but essentially, the, um, my big heavy head um, is um, the sort of bendiness of being an EDS um, patient means that the ligaments everywhere, including those that are sort of holding my neck um, and head in place, um, have gone lax. Um, and so my head is settling into my spinal column. And then I also have what's called um, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, or POTS, um, which means that when I go from sitting to standing, mm-hmm. standing to sitting, sitting to laying down, so everything from plopping down on the couch to laying down at to go to bed at night. Um, when I change positions, um, my um, heart rate changes significantly. So we'll go from high to much, much higher. So, um, you know, 95 sort of resting pulse, which is very high to begin with. Um, and the second I stand up, it'll go to like 107. Um, and then I go, yeah, and that's, and that's rough. It makes okay. you dizzy and, and it, you know, makes you lightheaded. And then you think, oh, and then you think, oh, I better sit down, but sitting down makes it work. Right. So it's, Oh yeah, you God. just, well, I just, you just have to then. go with I'll the wave. Yeah, so the laying down um, sometimes is the worst. And um, so it's, yeah, it's tough, but I, so I'm looking forward to the connection. Um, you know, when I first um, met somebody who also has this, you were talking a little while ago about, you know, you know, is it a sinus infection or a brain tumor, right? So doctors are trained this whole idea. If you hear hoofbeats, think horses, not zebras. So th- think about the sort of, co- you know, that common things yes. happen commonly, which is true. Um, but every now and then there's going mm-hmm. to be a patient um, and a lot of them probably um, who are, you know, running really kick-ass businesses who are sick visitors, um, you know, who are actually zebras. And um, so I had somebody reach out to me right mm-hmm. after my diagnosis um, who also has EDS. And she said, um, you know, it's nice to meet you, Bendy Zebra sister. Um, and I just thought that was funny. Um, like I've never sort of, He's never done. really, be- yeah. you know, never belonged to a sorority <laughs> or anything, but now I am sort of a Bendy Zebra sister. Um, and that was sort of interesting. So I'm looking forward to that. And in and out. Whatever the opposite of sort of, I guess it's optimistic, but sort of with a sort of gallows humor sort of attached to it. I'm actually looking forward to living like I'm dying. And, um, and that's tough. So, so EDS is not a terminal disease, but vascular EDS means that all of the tissues, my skin, which is really friable and my, um, you know, tendons and ligaments and all the things that are sort of falling apart on me those same issues are also happen to the vascular system. Um, so folks with vascular EDS um, tend to be very prone to aneurysm and ultimately to sudden death as a result of aortic dissection. And, um, you know, that's, that's a really tough pill to swallow, so to speak. Um, I turn 45 in a few weeks um, and the 
uh, median life expectancy of someone with vascular EDS is 48. And um, that's hard. Like, that's really hard. My family is yeah. not coping with it. They're just not dealing with it at all. They're not like, they're total denial. They're not even they're upset about it, I don't think. They're just literally yeah. just refusing to deal with it and they're just moving on. But interestingly for me, what I'm looking forward to is I'm looking forward to that really sort of enjoying things. So I, I love my career and I love my clients and I love my colleagues and but I, it's not unusual for me to work, you know, 60, 70, 80, 100 hours a week. Um, that's what I did last year. That's how I built mm-hmm. two businesses bigger and, and you mm-hmm. know, produced a really great book. And um, But this year, I'm, I'm not going to do all of that because, again, you know, I, it's cliche, but people will always say, you know, on your deathbed, you know, will you look back and, and wonder, you know, think I, I, sh- I should have worked more. I, I will not. I'm, I'm likely to die from sudden death. <laughs> so there will not be a deathbed. Like it's going to be just over. Right. Um, and so I know that like the living is now, like if I, if I want to go see glaciers in Alaska again, I need to go now. If I want to finally get my butt to Europe, I need to go now. If I want to take a whole day off of work and bum around the mall with another friend who's in her forties or fifties and then see a movie and then go do an escape room or what, like I need to do that now. Um, because there's going to come a day and I'm not afraid of being gone. Um, but there's going to come a day where the people who would have enjoyed my company and enjoyed some more memories with me, um, I'm going to be gone to them. Um, and I have a chance to have these moments and I have a chance to give them these memories. And so I am actually really, really looking forward to that. It's almost, it's like, um, It's like a backwards gift in a way where, you know, you get the gift of being able to realize that life is for living while you are still alive instead of, I think before diagnoses, so many people say, well, Mm -hmm. I'm invincible. I've never had this. I've never had that. My life is just kind of, we just kind of bounce along. You know, it's a median life. There's not really much happening. And then you get that diagnosis and I'm telling you, and you know this, as right. I wasn't diagnosed for five months and people who listen to the show know this, that um, they were tossing around mm-hmm. words like spinal tumor and stuff like that. And I, and I was like, okay, well, you might be in a room full of people, but you're very alone because you're yep. dying or you're finding out that you are immortal is a yeah. solo expedition. And, you know, it's like you can have you could be in a room full of people and like I never felt so alone in my life. It could be the brightest, sunniest day and you feel like you're sitting in the dark. But it is a gift at the same time because you are given the permission that we all should be given anyways. The why the hell not? Why the why the hell not? You know, and what's interesting too is that. I'm actually finding that it's a little bit easier right now while I'm sort of in the early stages of sort of diagnosis and noting, sort of knowing where I'm headed and, and this treatment has, or this disease, these, all these diseases, um, the, I, I'm going to get skull surgery. I think I'm going to have to go to Spain to do it. Um, but, um, yeah, that'll be fun. Wait oh, till I try to explain it. that to the insurance company. But, um, but there's, well, there's only like five <laughs> surgeons in the world who know how to, who, who know how to repair a craniocervical juncture. So, Um, you know, but it's interesting right now, I'm actually finding myself most comfortable around the people who are not emotional about this. And what I mean by that is like, I have shit to do now. So it's like, okay, well, Mm -hmm. 
luckily I have life insurance and got that several months ago because we wouldn't be able to get it now. Um, but I have things to do. Like I don't, I don't have mm-hmm. advanced directives in place and I haven't sat down with a banker at the bank around my personal banking, as well as the company and the business accounts to make sure that we have transfer on death pay- paperwork in place so that my husband can make sure people get paid um, when something happens to me. And all that stuff is not in place. And, um, and I've been dragging my feet for the last mm. two years around all of this estate planning stuff, because who wants to spend all this time doing all this paperwork and then go spend five grand on an estate plan? Um, we all can think of things we'd rather do with that money. And and so now, now I can have these conversations with you know my estate estate planning attorney and my financial planner, and um, and these are people who who you know the second you have to say say okay let's talk about like what do I need to know about how my husband gets access to my portfolio when something happens to me or um, it is their job to answer those questions for me and so you know they may mm-hmm. have a kinship and a friendship with me mm-hmm. and and I have great relationships with those types of folks in my life. Um, and so they may feel sort of an emotional tug, um, but they have a responsibility to me. Whereas family, it's really easy for them to be like, I refuse to accept it. I refuse to believe it. I think you're going to be fine. You're going to beat the odds. Everyone keeps telling me you're going to live to be 90. And I'm like, oh my God, one, I Ugh, don't want like in as much pain and discomfort as I am all the time. I don't want to live to be 90. Um, yes. Like that, it's like, <laughs> that is awful. <laughs> I know. It's like, could I be a... Right burning, smoldering mess of a human being for another 45 years. Let me think about them. Right. Yeah. And, but I get what you're saying. And here's a little gallows humor joke for you. I heard on um, Grace and Frankie so that you can use it to lighten the mood or break the ice around people. It's uh, so Mm. Frankie is helping her friend die. She's sending her off into the sunset. She has a terminal illness and she says, you need to drag out that gallows humor because it's really helping me get through this time. And she says, okay, well, give me a good joke. All right. What's the last thing my grandpa said before he died? Are you still (laughs) holding the ladder? (laughs) I love it. So, but this, I mean, it's a permission for people to ask questions and to be clumsy, what doesn't help is this false positivity based on the need other people yeah. have to be in their own denial. That doesn't help. When I had somebody say that to me, I was yeah. like, I will choke you right now. Stop talking about it because it's not helping me accept what yeah. the inevitability might be. And that is what you have to do as a friend. So how do you want people to respond to you around these difficult topics. Like if you have a friend that reaches out to you and they're just kind of like, I'm reaching out to you because I heard what's going on, but they don't know what to say. What do yeah, you want to say Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of things. I mean, one of the things I've actually learned from you are a couple of things that, you know, when somebody has a, a, a chronic health issue or even a terminal, uh, you know, illness where, you know, it, you have to stop thinking of in terms of sort of Hallmark get well cards. Um, you know, you can't be saying, you know, I mean, I get stuff mm-hmm. every day right now, like, you know, I'm hoping you're feeling better. Like, no, there's no such thing as sort of feeling better or, you know, get well soon. Um, and so it's important for people, <laughs> I think, to understand and sort of sort of rewrite the script that it's it's good to ask somebody, you know, how's your day going? You know, be really specific, not how are you, because, well, you know, the answer to that is pretty complex. Um, But, you know, are you, you know, are you having a good day? You know, are you having more good days than bad? Um, You know, uh, you know, tell me something fun that happened today. Um, 
you know, what's, what's exciting you today? I, I, and the question you just asked me a minute ago, what are you looking forward to? So that's really, really important. I also think it's important that people understand that, that I cannot on top of doing what I do as a professional and, and, you know, being a, a daughter and a wife and a dog mommy and all the things that I've got going on in my life and being a patient who's chronically ill, I cannot also be everyone else's grief counselor. Um, and I think that's, yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. That's breaking a rule. That's yeah. breaking a rule. You can't, and we've talked about this before, yeah. support goes inward. It does not go outward. So if you're in Kate's inner circle and you express to her, like you can't express to yeah. her how distraught you are. Well, Kate, I'm worried about this. What am I going to do about this? Yeah. No, you have right. to go outside to your right. outer circle, the next ring, and then you guys support each other and all yeah. the support comes into you. Like that yeah. is you the need to, support That's exactly it. And I like the way you talk about that. You need to do like a whole infographic on the rings um, of support um, and, and sort of maybe do a blog post around that or something because I think people – they just need a roadmap for how do I do this? And it's important. You know, I tried to explain that to a loved one the other day, like, you know, and, you know, and they, they do the whole like, you know, but, you know, but I'm really worried about you and I love you. And it's like, I get that. But you guys mm-hmm. all need to go talk to each other. Like all of you who love me, like, or are worried about me, like go talk to each other or go talk to yeah. a therapist or go talk to a friend or a neighbor or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But I cannot carry that for you. Like I have a lot of stuff to carry right now um, and I have to take care of me. And I wish I could figure out how to take care of everybody else too, but, but I do enough of that, um, at work and in my family and, um, I just can't do it. I I mean, I love that idea of support goes inward and it can't go outward. I mean, it can't, and it's not that I'm not a generous and loving person, but, um, you know, I just, I would rather y'all were talking about me um, when I wasn't in the room um, than, than that you were coming to me and saying like, we, like, we're so upset. It's like, uh, you know, that's just not how it's going to work. It's also interesting to me that, that I'm finding that my friends um, and colleagues are unbelievable in their support right now. And, um, eloquent and effusive in, in sharing their feelings and their support. Um, whereas my family, um, in general has gone completely silent. Um, I actually, you know, did a 45 minute video last week when I got my diagnosis and sort of walked everybody through what's going on with my health, um, and shared things that, you know, my own cousins, aunts, uncles, brother probably don't know about me. Um, and, um, you know, I can see that, you know, there've been hundreds of views of the videos, um, but with the exception of one cousin who also has a chronic illness, um, family have gone silent. They've said nothing. And so I keep asking my husband, are they reaching out to you? And, and the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know that they're talking to anybody, you know. And so I can't figure out whether or not they're just saying, you know, oh, well, you know, she's a hypochondriac. Or, um, you know, or if they're in some level of denial. Um, and, and either way, um, it's just not okay. I mean, this morning I had a friend who was getting biopsy results from she had just had a melanoma, melanoma removed. And, um, you know, and I, you know, first thing this morning, you know, I'm thinking I got to reach out to her and see if she got her test results and if she's okay. And, um, was I worried about her? Was I, you know, emotional that something could happen to her? Absolutely. But I wasn't putting that on her. You know, it was just letting her know I'm here about, you know, I'm thinking about you, you know, please call me Monday when you get your test results. Um, and then letting her know how thrilled I was when, when the pathology came back with clear margins. Um, and then I told her I was terrified. I'm so glad you're okay. Um, yeah. You know, but I think we have yeah. to figure out um, 
as support systems for people who are ill, um, how to know sort of how to sort of meter what's coming out of our mouths and uh, and and know sort of what's what's okay and what's not okay to say. You know, we need actionable content is what we need. We need examples of conversations. So if somebody has a new diagnosis and you're curious and you want to know how they're doing, what's it okay to say? What's it not okay to say? So it's okay to say, wow, um, I'm really sorry to hear about your diagnosis. I hope you are doing okay. Are you handling treatment okay? Do you have somebody to take you to appointments? Um, Are you eating okay? How is your family treating you? What do you need right now? And it's okay to offer things, but it's then the differentiation is it's not okay to say, I'm just devastated. I'm so sad. I'm scared. What will I do? Like, dude. That's on you, yeah. man. There's stuff to be done. There's appointments to go to. Nobody has time for this. Right. So I think maybe w- what we'll do is, um, in addition to this episode and the blog that comes out naturally with it, is we're going to put some of those guidelines on there. Because a lot of people are like, well, I don't know what to say, so I don't reach yeah. out. I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing. That's and then the other people reach out. Yeah. And, you know, and it just seems like other people are like, well, this is a train wreck and I'm going to ask you very inappropriate questions. And still others are like, you're going to be my counselor and help me through this. So we need some guidelines. Yeah. We I, need I some, love that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So I had a, a friend reach out last week and she, um, I always, one of the things I've always loved about her is that she's always been very honest about what she can handle sort of emotionally without sort of putting it on me. I remember I was recovering from a surgery once and I asked her to come visit me and, you know, it was all sort of bandaged up and whatever. And she's like, oh yeah, no, I can't do that. Like it was going to make her squeamish. And so she was able to tell me before mm-hmm. my surgery, mm-hmm. I will not handle that well, but I'm going to be sending you texts and stuff and checking in on you. But she basically needed to see me like, you know, looking healthy with my makeup on and and not in a hospital gown for her to be okay. And I loved the fact that she was able to tell me that. Um, And this very same friend messaged me at the beginning of last week and said, "Um, do you still have an appointment with the specialist on Friday? And I wrote back, yes. And she said, who's going with you? And I let her know that my husband was going with me. And she said, good, I'll be thinking of you. Please reach out to me um, when you know more. And there was no, and there was yes. no, you know, listen, clearly she was feeling emotion about it or she wouldn't have reached out to me, but I loved that, that right. she focused on the facts that she said, you know, Hey, I seem to remember you have this important doctor's appointment coming up. That to me was love, right? You don't have to tell me you're worried about yes. me. The fact that you put it on your calendar, you know, that you have a friend who has yeah. an important doctor's appointment um, that she told you about a month ago, that told me everything I needed to know about the, uh, about the That's quality funny. of her character and our friendship um, and said, our, you know, keep, keep me posted. Um, and sometimes that's all we need to know is the, hey, you know, I know you've got an important doctor's appointment coming up or you have some test results coming in. I'm thinking about you. Let me know if you'd like to talk or please let me know how it goes. And sometimes that's all we yes, need to hear. And that, yes, and that onus is on the people in your support yeah. system. It is not on the patient yeah. who is to check in later. It is on the people in the support system to say, okay, I know Kate has this going on today. I'm going to reach out to her because it's not up to you to remember who to reach out to. It's up to people to remember to reach out to you. So the more that we talk about this, the more that um, I think it's important to just kind of keep giving examples so that people understand that there are things you can say, things you 
should not say for obvious reasons and some for not so obvious reasons. So I want to wrap this episode with a quick game of word association. Let's do it. Okay. Word number. Okay. Word number one is stigma. Mm. And I'm supposed to tell you what I associate that with. Um, you know, yeah, I think yes. that's about, um, for, for me, it's judgment, right? So people bring a lot of judgment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Word number two, reading. Ah, it's the, it's, it's the solution. It's the flashlight. Keep reading. You'll find your answers. I love it. Number three, life coach. Mm. So the whole concept is very squishy to me. Um, but um, <laughs> it's like, ooh, like life coaching and religion, like two things I don't feel like I need. But, um, but I will say, um, you know, life is all we've got, right? Like this is, so, so we do need someone to help us. And, and that's what I believe that you have built um, through SickBiz is this network of people who can see each other as human beings, um, can see our frail bodies and our fierce spirits and, um, and be there um, to be sort of little sort of mini on the spot um, sort of coaches and support systems and cheerleaders for one another. And I think that's really vital. Yeah, it is really vital. Uh, your fourth word is vacation. Mm. Oh, yeah. I'm going to take like six of them this year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, it's yeah, so so my answer is six, <laughs> uh, at least once quarterly. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. And your final word is life. Mm. Yeah, it's enough. You know, whatever, like whatever it is, like whatever I'm given, you know, is is enough. Um like if this is it, like, you know, like I fall off my chair and it's over um, after we hang up uh, the, the phone. To, like, that's OK. Like, you know, it, it's it's enough. I am enough. And the life I've been given, um, flawed as it is, has been enough. And I feel like I have done enough with it. That's amazing. Thank you so much for coming back and being on the show. You're always oh, welcome. Thanks Kate. so much for having me. It really means a lot. Absolutely. What is the old saying about courage not appearing like you would assume? Kate is the example of superhero everyday bravery. And as she continues her journey, she grows into more of a role model all of us can follow. To get in touch with Kate, you can reach her at silvertreecommunications.com. That's it for today's episode of Sick Biz Buzz. Please join us next week when we'll talk with Jordan of Limitless Medical Logs, a man who has morphed from star athlete to brain surgery survivor. And if you're looking for gigs or remote work for yourself, please also head over to the Sick Biz group on Facebook, where we share the Sick Biz job of the day, as well as provide unparalleled support for life, money, and business coaches, people just like you are all weighing in. We're all working and overcoming challenges every day together. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, be well.